Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, your host today. I'm joined by Jack Kelly of Detroit Bad Boys. Welcome, Jack. Nice to have you on the show again. Thanks for having me back, Mark. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Jack here is, for my money, one of the real up-and-coming Pistons content creators. Uh, puts out a ton of good content on Twitter. You can find him there at Jack underscore Kelly underscore 313. So check him out. So today we're going to be talking Isaiah Stewart. Uh, I like the guy. I know Jack. You're, you're you, you know, you're pretty high on him, if I recall. So yeah, I would, I would say I'm probably on the higher side, but I think <clears> he's <throat> a pretty divisive topic. Yeah, he can be, and I think one of the reasons he's so divisive is that the guy is so damn likable. I mean, it's impossible not to like Isaiah Stewart. I think if you're a Pistons fan, uh, like if you want to talk the Detroit mentality, or even if you just like guys who are consummate sportsmen, like. Isaiah Stewart is up there in terms of his passion and how hard he works and how dedicated he is to team success. Absolutely. I think that's what's endeared him immediately to the fan base and probably a fair portion of his fans sort of stick by him because he embodies sort of the city of Detroit, the grit, toughness. And uh, there's that Ben Wallace connection, even though they're Mm -hmm. sort of different players, there's just that undersized sentimentality that I think a lot of people gravitate towards. So, yeah, yeah. Stewart is only six, seven and a half without shoes. Uh, he is not uh, not particularly tall for his position. And as much as I totally agree about the mentality, the similarities in mentality between them, if only Stewart had the athleticism of Ben Wallace. Of course, he would have been drafted like top five in uh, in twenty twenty if that had been the case. No, a hundred percent. He does have that. I think it's a seven five wingspan or something. So I think seven, I think seven <laughs> four. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. yeah, he's definitely very long. No doubt about that. I think Ben. We never found out exactly how tall Ben is without shoes. I mean, he may have been as short as six six. Yeah, I was doing shorter. I was looking at some Big Ben stuff the other day, and yeah, he looked awfully short out there. But he could, <laughs> it, like, but he he had obviously those long arms, and he could jump. So. Yeah, obviously that helped make up for the size, but yeah, he definitely looked quite short out there. Because I, I, as probably some people know by now, I've only been a Pistons fan since 2012, so I haven't watched a lot of Big Ben. So going back and watching some stuff, like it really stuck out how undersized he was. But obviously yeah. he made up for that. Oh, he did. I and mean, the guy, in addition to having sky high defensive IQ, I mean, there are very few guys who are as smart on the defensive end as Ben Wallace was. But just in terms of that, he was an athletic freak. I mean, like an absolute athletic freak. He was not just a fantastic leaper, the kind of guy who was a nightmare when he came in uh, help side to swat shots. I mean, he was just quick. I mean, he's one of the quickest rebounders I've ever seen just in terms of his ability to just get to his spot very, very quickly. It wasn't explosiveness. He just had super quick feet and he would come out of nowhere to grab a rebound. And it was that plus his, his verticality, fantastic verticality and uh, his his work ethic. They made him such a fantastic rebounder. Also, now I got a question for you. How do you think Ben Wallace? Ben Wallace. I know we're getting off the topic of Isaiah Stewart, but who cares? Every that's you know, okay. Love talking about Ben Wallace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you think he would have fared in today's NBA versus the era in which he played? So I, I, I did think about that, and I think from what I saw, his offense was essentially non-existent, and the free throws mm-hmm. were a major issue. But I think we've gone away from that. That that era of the Hacker Dwight sort of stuff. So I think he was sort of in the right era, but I also think he would have been pretty dominant in today's NBA um, with his switchability, obviously his rim protection, rebounding. Um, yeah, but I do think he was in the right era. Yeah, he had his issues on offense, definitely. And back then it was okay. Not okay, I mean, yeah, it was, well, not, that- it was not ideal. But it That's what I was thinking. Like when you look at those final score lines of, I know there's that famous Pacers series where they're in the 60s. But even those, I don't know, in today's offense, like I feel like you've got to be able to do something. And mm-hmm. I know, I know he could offensive rebound and that sort of thing. But who knows? He did used to open up most games with a post up or a mid range jumper. So maybe yeah. he could develop develop that side of his game. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah, I would think that, I mean, he'd have to shoot free throws better these days. I mean, nobody can shoot free throws that badly in today's NBA. I think he would get hacked. What I think is funny, uh, I've always looked back on this, that uh, during the Pistons-Lakers series, there were no hacks 
Like the Lakers did not hack Ben Wallace and the Pistons did not hack Shaq. Uh, so, I mean, I, I was, I, I find myself wondering occasionally, it's like, did, did uh, Phil Jackson and Larry Brown just get together before the yeah. series and say, we're not going to do this because was it was a mutual a agreement. Series. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because that would be awful. It would have been a terrible series if that was happening constantly. Well, now that you say that, like I remember growing up, like 2005, six was when I first started watching NBA. And I think that Ben Wallace and Shaquille O'Neal, like I learned everything through like NBA live and 2k. Like I think they were the worst free throw shooters by miles. <laughs> so Maybe there was David Stern said, let's make a mutual agreement here. Or yeah, like you said, Phil Jackson and Larry Brown. But yeah. Yeah. Like let's have a real series. Yeah. So, you raise a good point yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think Ben on defense would be, you know, equally as valuable, perhaps even more valuable. I would think in today's NBA, like one of his chief weaknesses would not be there. I mean, he had his struggles against guys who were just taller and way bigger than him because you know, you're posted up by those guys. The post-up offense is lesser in today's NBA, which would help him. I mean, there's only so much you can do against a guy like Shaq uh, who can just score over you. Yeah. But So he wouldn't have those guys. I mean, Embiid and Jokic are Embiid and Jokic. Nobody's stopping them. I mean, that is what it is. But, no, absolutely. Yeah. But for the most part, I mean, the number of one through five defenders, guys who can defend every position in the NBA is very small. Like very, very small. I actually can't think of anybody right now. I mean, you have Jeremy Sohan coming into the league who might be able to do that. But I feel like Ben Wallace would be able to guard one through five in today's NBA. He could guard anywhere. He could guard probably just about any one except for those really big centers. And super switchable. And uh, I think would be more valuable in defense. On offense, of course, have to find some way to contribute. Yeah, I think that would like that would be the key. Because I don't think you can have a complete non-factor on offense these days. I agree. Have to be able to contribute something. 100%. Yeah. I think that you'd probably see him run more on the roll because the guy had hops. And, uh, you know, he was a decent scorer around the basket. I mean, the, the fact that he could score above the rim, even at his height, was very helpful. He was a decent scorer around the basket. So, yeah, probably just running the roll quite a bit. And, yeah, yeah just a, a garbage man, but a very good garbage man. And, but yeah, definitely if you have a, it's really tough to run a center who can't score. Very well. And that I guess that brings us to Isaiah Stewart. <laughs> uh, Great so, transition. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, I love Stewart. I don't want to sound overly critical uh, because I, I love Stewart. I think he's one of those guys every every sportsman should aspire to be and just in terms of how hard he works, how he plays for his team. And just the character, his level of character is just off the charts. And I think it's okay to love a player and to still be able to acknowledge his weaknesses and not every player the Pistons have has to be a star. Most of them won't be. So, and my opinion is that Stewart falls into the role player category. For sure. I think, so I've been doing a lot of thinking about Stewart in the off season. Obviously the, there was the, him playing at the four through summer league, which we'll touch on later. But I think with um, Stu for me, and I've applied this logic with Killian Hayes, mainly after his disappointing rookie season. But I think for Stu, it's all about adjusting expectations and where do I see Isaiah Stewart on a Pistons team that's budding contention? So for me, I think I'm not sure whether he sits in the starting lineup or he's the first big off the bench, but I really enjoyed uh, a quote from Tim McMahon, which he said on one of the ESPN podcasts, which was that he sees... Isaiah Stewart, or he sees Detroit molding Isaiah Stewart into a PJ Tucker type of player. Mm -hmm. And I really like that because PJ Tucker isn't really a, you know, a big stats guy, but he's defended some of the best players in the playoffs. We saw him against Giannis. And even though Giannis put up big numbers, uh, not against Giannis, um, we saw him playing with Giannis in the finals, yeah. my mistake. And mm -hmm. But we've seen him tasked with defending some of those bigger wings. He's played small ball five on the Rockets and he essentially stretches the floor and he's just that hustle player that I think every sort of contender has. Mm -hmm. So I think for yeah. me, we can get into the strengths and weaknesses of Stu, but I really like that sort of player mold for Stu. That's an interesting point about the hustle guys. I mean, you look back on the Bucks who who had PJ Tucker at last season, 
the Celtics with Marcus Smarts, though I think you could throw Robert Williams and, and Grant Williams into that category. And uh, the Warriors, of course, Draymond, you know, that is that yeah. hardly needs to be said. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, with well, Stewart, uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, just because it's, I like that you brought up Grant Williams there because I sort of did a little bit of research and from last season, there was these sort of undersized bigs, which they don't all fit the exact skill set of Stu, but they're undersized bigs that all contributed to winning teams. So there's the mm-hmm. likes of Grant Williams, PJ Tucker, um, even Brandon Clark. He's only six foot eight. He's obviously a rim running type of big, but he's still that undersized rebounding big. Kevon Looney, we saw just go nuts in the playoffs with his rebounding. Um, And you've even got Bobby Portis, who, once again, all these guys, they all sort of bring a different element, but they're similar in their build. And each one of those guys was a plus net rating in the playoffs. So all those guys contribute to winning. So that's where I sort of see Stu as a baseline in that sort of category of players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that Stewart is most likely a long-term backup center who might see some minutes at power forward just, you know, in certain lineups with, with certain teammates in order just to be able to keep him on the floor because he's a valuable presence there. But I, yeah, I think he's a backup big who's always going to be a top-notch character presence and, uh, and a very good defender. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's get into... You know his profile, his strengths and weaknesses. So, what's the the number one strength? I mean, we'd be, of course, know about. You know, we can throw into the strengths category his work ethic and his character and his you know his mentality and whatnot. You know, that those those are of course major sure. strengths for Stewart. Uh, but aside from that, if we're talking his play on the floor, what do you see as his biggest strength? Well, I think it it clearly comes in the defensive end, and I think. I was a little down on his rim protection last season, but then I've delved into some numbers and we were discussing this off air before, but his rim protection numbers are decent and obviously the switchability he brings. So he can switch. We saw him switch. I think he switched the third most in the league last season for bigs. And obviously that comes with the piston scheme of switching, but he, I put out a stat, but he held like the NBA dot com website has like this matchups feature mm-hmm. he held a, a lot of like trey young Luka Doncic, even chris paul in there um they all shot under 50 percent with him guarding them so look once again those stats are a bit murky but i think we saw him on the floor his switchability he's got those long arms he can move pretty quick laterally and i think that's a major asset for Stu. yeah Absolutely. I 100% agree. He's a very, very strong defender. I mean, he's, uh, a, statistically speaking, I mean, very capable rim protector. And you're looking in terms of, uh, in terms of a defensive, excuse me, in terms of defensive field goal percentage to the rim, so rim protection. Uh, he was fourth in defensive field goal percentage uh, among starting centers. We're talking centers who started at least 41 games last season at, at about 52%. So very good. Yeah. Also a very good paint protector. I mean, the guy knows how to position himself, moves his feet well. It's very difficult to move even for the strongest centers in the league. So if you're looking at within six feet, uh, he was sixth in the defensive field goal percentage within, uh, excuse me, among starting centers. When you go out yeah. to ten to within 10 feet, he's fifth. And 15% and out, uh, 15 feet and out, excuse me, he's middle of the pack, but still very good. There's not much variance between centers in, the, in that area. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Switch defense, totally agree. He held a bunch of guys to uh, to less than one point per possession. Make you look at, uh, I think we got uh, Luca, Tatum, uh, Levine, Chris Paul, DeMar DeRozan, Anthony Edwards, Jalen Brown, Cole Anthony, um, uh, Darius Garland. He's a fantastic switch defender. Exactly. And like at some point when you list all those names off, that you sort of have to go with the defensive stat and that sort of backs up the argument of his switchability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just altogether strong defender who definitely never backs down, uh, does have issues with fouling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. His fouls per 100, per 100 possessions, sixth worst among starting centers. Yeah. So, For sure. yeah. Uh, an area of weakness I see uh, within his defense comes from, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about his kind of physical downsides. Uh, the fact that 
he is undersized. He is long, but he's undersized and not very vertical. Means that he struggles and WAP defense is virtually impossible for him if his if his defender is in the right place. Yeah. Um, he isn't really a very good weak side defender because he can't really fly in. And also, there are some guys who can just rebound the ball over him and then score over him. Like Whiteside did it last year, and it was pretty ugly. No, for sure. I think with just with the yeah defensive weaknesses, I the Dwayne Casey opened the season with him playing a lot of drop. And mm-hmm. I think that's where you see that lob defense get exposed and probably probably why they switch a lot more with Stu on the floor because in drop coverage, he sort of struggles to contain the ball handler and the role man because he just doesn't have that, that A, that massive frame, like, and then B, he doesn't really have the, the bounce to sort of disrupt. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably, yeah, his main weakness on defense. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's funny because he's, whilst the switchability makes him sort of versatile, he sort of does struggle in drop coverage, which sort of eliminates some of that um, flexibility. So, yeah, there, yeah, whilst he's an excellent defensive player, he can. there's definitely some holes he can be exposed. Yeah, I mean, in terms of his frame, definitely a massive horizontally, not so much vertically. Yeah, yeah I've, I, I've seen the guy up close and... Uh, you know, just at, at a game I went to that I've referenced about a zillion times in this podcast already, so I won't get into it. Uh, but the guy's <laughs> muscles on muscles. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, very, very strong. At the same time, you know, I will say this part. I mean, Jokic, uh, amongst all the amazing things he does, I mean, he was just bodying Stewart out of the way, which was, you know, it's really, yeah. really something. <laughs> Not many people in the world could do that in any sport. So, yeah, those are definitely defensive weaknesses of his. Uh, on, on the whole, still a very strong defensive player, like very capable on the, on the pick and roll largely. I mean, not so much in drop, but you know, he, he knows what to do. High defensive IQ knows where to go, can relocate very quickly because he's got very good lateral mobility. And yeah, just in terms of how much he can test shots. Yeah. Amongst again, amongst starting centers uh, in contested shots per 36 minutes, because we don't get per hundred on the NBA stats site for some reason in this category, uh, fourth and contested twos, third and, con- uh, excuse me, uh, fourth, where did I get this? Fourth and contested twos, third and contested threes, and second and contested shots overall. So, yeah, strong defender aside from those weaknesses. So, um, yeah, where else would you, or what else would you put in terms of his strengths? I mean, we just went over the main one. Well, I we think talked about his character. <laughs> obviously, I think I think we sort of covered the defensive end. I think yeah. on the offensive end, we saw him develop those highway screens, which. Mm-hmm. I was actually listening to James Edwards's the the Bun and Cardigan episode. He actually mm-hmm. just dropped, um, and Stu actually reveals that he sort of learnt those from Stephen Adams, and mm. um, Stephen Adams sort of gave him some tutelage on it, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and so I think those highway screens definitely we saw those sort of implemented. Uh, I want to say around January February. And those definitely gave an added element to his offensive game because prior to that, he was struggling majorly in the pick and roll as a role man. And mm-hmm. so the fact he sort of figured out a way to impact in the pick and roll to help, we, we saw that help Cade a little bit. And Cade, obviously being a master playmaker, sort of adapted to that well. I'm not sure that's mm-hmm. something every point guard can um, flourish with, but he found some chemistry with Cade and I liked the pick and roll. Uh, I liked him adding those highway screens. And I think if he can add that three-point shot, and I know it's a bit of a big if, but I believe in the shot. Yeah, if he too. can also pop and he can come down in transition and hit some trailer threes. Um, yeah, I, I mean, just some quick stats here. So the last eight games of the season – he he shot 11 of 18 from three and his offensive rating shot up to 130. So prior to that, his offensive rating yeah. was like around 110. So yeah, you might, you might not hold on to the 130 though. Oh, absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely <laughs> not. Oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not that. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying that's going to happen. Yeah, I know. I just, I just I'm felt just, obligated to joke about it. No, no absolutely. <laughs> Call me out on that if I was being serious with that. But I think, look, I just think you could see he can, he can be a 
not a net negative on offense. And if he can just provide some three-point shooting and then he can also sort of roll, he's got those highway screens to sort of open up things, then I think that gives him some versatility on offense. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, for anybody who's unfamiliar with the definition, highway screen is when the Stewart would roll and then basically just uh, pin his man outside of the paint just to give Cade a, a clear path into the paint. Excuse me, clear path to the basket. And and Stewart can do that because of you know one of his other strengths. Like He's got some physical downsides, but one of his strengths mentioned before, he's incredibly strong and just super densely built. So he's not easy to move on offense either. And uh, when I... In the past, I've been talking about Chet Holmgren and the ways in which his thinness, if he can't fix that, might really harm him in the NBA. Uh, like Stewart was one of the inspirations for that, just in, uh, in terms of, oh, not one of the inspirations for my criticism of his, you know, for my concerns over his, about his height, just one of the areas in which that could be exploited. Like, let's say he's going up against the likes of Stewart. Uh, like Chet Holmgren is going to have very little chance if Stewart pins him down. Of, of getting to where he needs to go. And it's like, if you're pinned outside of the paint and you're even a second late, you're going to get scored on. For sure. A quick word from our sponsor. College football is back. It's time to enjoy the tradition, the fun, and the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. To celebrate the best time of the year, right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets instantly, win or lose. If that's not enough action, you can also place the same game parlay for a shot on even bigger payout. Just combine multiple bets into one, like which team will get the win, which team to score first, and more. Yeah, any any other strengths to cover before uh, we head on to the not-so-goods? Well, I don't think it's a strength, but I think there could be some short-roll potential, but I guess we probably haven't seen enough of that. So Mm -hmm. I would like to, I guess this sort of ties into the not-so-goods and the weaknesses, but I I would like to see him develop a bit of a short-roll passing game because I think he can make some reads. so I don't think he's completely inept of making passes out of the short roll. So I guess it would be whether he gets the opportunity or not now with Jaden Ivey in the fold. Mm-hmm. Killian's obviously there, whether they're going to even look to that option. But I could see that potentially being something he adds to his game. Yeah, I think we'll see it with Duran, you know, passing out of the short roll. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, already saw some. Yeah. I, it wasn't necessarily short roll all of it, but we saw him make some nice passes in summer leagues. So. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, onto his weaknesses. I mean, one that I bring up often because I feel like it's really all that holds him back from being, at, at the very least, like an absolutely elite defensive center. Because so he went over some stats that really showed. And it's like, of course, you got to support stats with the eye test, especially on defense, but I feel like they are supported by the eye test with Stewart. But that keeps him, uh, might keep him out of the ranks of like the truly complete defensive players and also causes him problems on offense is the combination of his height and poor verticality. So how does that impact things? Like we went over how, how it impacts him on defense and on offense. I mean, he brought up what he can do with highway screens on, on the pick and roll. And that does give him some versatility, but his is relatively short height for the position and his poor verticality mean that like he really struggles on the roll because yeah. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, for sure. He, he struggles, he struggles on the roll and he also, struggles around the basket in general there's a lot of there's a lot of and i'm actually writing a piece on stew at the moment um it's mostly a positive piece but one of the things he really struggles with is around the basket he'll have a lot of awkward sort of hook shots sort of looking throw it up shot put type shots that they just he's trying his best just to get it over the bigger defender and look he Mm -hmm. makes some of them but I think he's shooting around the rim. I wouldn't be surprised if it's some of the lowest in the league for a big man in terms of percentile. Um, oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. He's in the eighth, he's in the eighth, uh, per, per queen in the glass. He's in the last season. He was in the eighth percentile amongst bigs in terms of restricted area field goal percentage, 58%, very bad for a center. Well, there you go. So, and that adds up with the eye test because I think the lack of bounce or verticality plus just the, the height, like he does have the long arms, but in and around players like Anthony Davis, even Nikola Jokic, just big bodies, he struggles to sort of get the ball up and over them. Yeah. So that's that's one of his glaring weaknesses on offense and frankly one that we probably won't really ever see um, a whole lot of improvement in. Yeah. I think his uh, his touch 
is not bad, but in the NBA is he's got to score from below the basket as a center, and that's hard. And that's a really that that's a major downside. Like you said, just short hooks. I mean, he can establish position, but you know, just he's going to have to inherently have to deal with more contests just because he can't get above anybody, or for the most part, can't get above anybody. You know, yeah. he can he can post up smaller players, and then they're in trouble. But that's not going to be the majority. I mean, it's going to be a very small minority of his possessions. So, For sure. Yeah, it hurts. Sorry to jump in. I, I was just going to add that I feel like at Washington, he played a fair bit in the post. So I think he does, like you said, have that touch and has some moves. But in today's NBA, you're not really looking to utilize. Like maybe on mismatches like you touched on, but against bigger body opponents, I just don't think he has the quickness to use those moves and get around guys. So. Yeah, he's also just got arms above him. I mean, yeah, he's, he's scoring just from the floor. Uh, you know, I mean, he's rather he can't. Well, in the post, it's less that he can't jump, and more just that he's short. But uh, you know, because yeah, immediately when you're trying to score from the post, I mean, yeah, you can get around good position on guys. But you know, the fact that they're taller is gonna be an issue. So yeah, on offense, struggles around the basket. Uh, but just when it comes to his poor verticality and heights, it hurts on the roll. Because uh, you can't get him the ball high. Like you've got to get him the ball on the floor, more or less, or or low. I mean, you can't pass it above the defender. So because he he can't jump up to get it, and he's pretty short. Also, doesn't have great hands. He drops a fair number of passes, and not a lob threat in the slightest bit. Like well, a little bit, but his catch radius is like maybe yeah. nine inches above the basket. That's a that's a great point. The catch radius, like I actually. Uh, as we're in the off season, I was watching some tape from his rookie season and him and Killian actually had a few nice lobs, but that catch radius, it has to be on point, the pass. Like it, there's yeah. no variability in where that ball, it has to be going exactly where he needs it, which makes it tough because in the NBA, you don't ha- you don't always have time to get the perfect pass. So, Or space. Yeah. I mean, you compare it to a guy like Marvin Bagley, who isn't particularly long. I think his wingspan is about 7'2". But it's actually, uh, he, it's actually yeah. seven. It's he's like, really? Like he's, yeah. It's six. He's six, 11, seven wingspan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, he's a fantastic, well, that, that of course is an ideal, but he's a fantastic leaper. So, you know, he can get his catch radius is tremendously better than Stewart's also more explosive roller. Stewart does not cover ground very quickly. That's, that's another weakness of his, like in terms of his lateral mobility, he's very good, like excellent for a center, excellent lateral mobility in terms of his actual foot speed on the run. Pretty slow. Yeah. He does sort of labor up and down the court. He looks like he's giving it his all. Like that oh, yeah. was one of the things I loved. Like and like like we touched on when we opened it. Like but he yeah it's not actually producing a lot of pace. It's just this no. big he's just putting everything he has into it though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he is absolutely puts uh, he puts everything he has into everything. But uh, yeah, when it comes to the role, he's not rolling explosively to the basket. So I mean, you've got this combination of factors. Uh, you've got to get him the ball low, which is of course more difficult. His hands are relatively poor. That's not athleticism, but uh, athleticism or size is just very unhelpful. Uh, he can't catch lobs. He has to score from below the basket. Uh, he's just it, it means big trouble on the pick and roll if he's not throwing a highway screen, and that's that's just I feel like not enough to make him an effective player. And it's, there are just a lot of situations last season when it was less the pick and roll and more the pick. And then Isaiah clogs the paint and makes life more difficult on his, on his guard. <laughs> yeah, no, that was definitely the first few months of the season. And there were still instances of it throughout the whole season. But those first two and a half, three months of the year were really rough for Isaiah in terms of trying to figure out how to mesh with Kate, but just how to exist on offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I would say that on the whole of the season, uh, he was a, a net negative offensive player. Would you agree with that? I would. I think so. I think so. I think that. I think I can't disagree with you. I'll put it like that. Like I think that's a very fair point. I think. Yeah. I just think like it's only year two, but I think mm-hmm. if you just look at the raw numbers, you are correct. That statement is correct and fair, but I think he showed signs in the past couple of months to give us hope that he isn't always going to be a net negative on yeah. offense. Yeah, there is the opportunity cost of running him versus uh, a role man like Bagley, for example. 
uh, who is going to provide that wild presence, who is going to be just strong on the roll in general, who is a very high percentage scorer in the restricted area, or at least was with the Pistons last season. And so I feel like that's always going to hurt, not just fielding Stewart with his difficulties, but also just the fact that he'll be there instead of another guy who might be able to do better. You might play him with Bagley this season. That may be kind of a long-term pairing off the bench where Bagley basically plays center on offense and uh, and power forward on defense. But hmm. yeah, so that, that hurts. Even the fact that Stewart can't catch lobs hurts. I mean, if you look at the the number of teams that don't field an athletic big in the starting lineup, I mean, lobs are just real nice. <laughs> it's a real nice option to have. If you look at no, the, the number sure. of teams, yeah, the number of teams that doesn't field that, that didn't field an athletic big in the starting lineup last season, it's like maybe the Warriors who don't need it. And yeah, uh, yeah like uh, Looney didn't have to really run the role at all. You don't really need to do much at all. Yeah, so. they can run. They can just, as long as they've got Steph out there, they don't even yeah. need, they don't need vertical or <laughs> three-point spacing. Steph just just makes the defense shift that much that gaps just open up. Oh, yeah. And, and Steve but, Kerr is absolutely perfect at utilizing the resources he has. Absolutely. Yeah. But look, yeah, look, the, the lack of athleticism definitely hurts on offense. And that's why the three, it's sort of the three point shot will make or, make or break Stu's career to a certain extent. It'll definitely okay. alter how much he gets offered because he's obviously extension eligible at the end of this year. The three-point mm-hmm. shot is going to play a major factor in yeah. what you can offer because as we touched on, if in today's NBA you have to be able to offer something on offense consistently that makes the defense sort of account for you and or else you are resigned to probably a reserve role. Well, even then, I mean, I would say in terms of how we played most of last season, uh, you're probably talking a reserve role in any case. and For sure. Yeah. And so I probably I mean, should have. Yeah. I think I meant like more like you're a spot minutes. Like, oh, okay. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, like, like I think Stu can definitely be a part of a winning rotation, absolutely man rotation. Yeah, yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about his projection. Now we're talking about his three point shooting. I completely agree. I think he'll get there. I think he has a stroke. I mean, he had this weird thing in his rookie season, in which you know he started shooting threes halfway through the season. You know, partway through the season was good at it and uh, then got the yips for whatever reason, <laughs> you know, so to speak. Ooh. He just he just started. I mean, his threes went completely off course. And, no, the, yips, shot, the, yeah. the yips is a perfect way to describe it because, no. yeah, he touched on it in the podcast as well uh, with James Edwards and the Bunny really? Cardigan. Did that. He didn't, he did not alter his jump shot at all. But I feel like it looked, he had the yips so bad in those that first two weeks of the season. Like that jump shot looked changed. <laughs> like I remember putting side by sides and he looked so more fluid in his rookie year. And he just looked so awkward and tense in the first couple of seasons. And you could tell, ah, oh, the first couple of weeks, you could tell as soon as they weren't going down, the misses got worse. They were clanking off the, you know, backboard and rim. So I think the yips is the perfect way to put it because I think the stroke is technically sound. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it uh, it was it was a little bit ugly, definitely, and uh, but I think he'll get there. And bear in mind, also in his rookie season, on fairly low percentage, mind you, but uh, he shot about fifty percent from mid range. That's great, and I think it'll be necessary. I think we agree it'll be necessary for Stewart to shoot threes in order for him to be like a, a viable offensive player. I think it'd be great if he can also shoot mid range shots, just standstill mid range shots, which generally aren't efficient. But if he can do that, then suddenly you can't give him space in the interior as well, and that's very helpful. But let's just talk about how the three-point uh, three offense, I mean, how will we see it manifest itself in, in his overall game and, and in the lineups in terms of how the offense is played, you know, beyond the obvious? Well, I think the three-point shot, it'll, it's obviously, like you just touched on, it'll, he needs that to unlock his offense and maintain a viable role in the offense. And I think with Marvin Bagley, just to touch on the, the lineup side of things, I think we're going to see Stu a lot paired with another big, whether it's Cali, Marvin Bagley, or Duran. Mm-hmm. And with, because I think you need to, and I, uh, I think Bagley and Duran in particular, and even Nerlens Noel, you want to accentuate Cade with a role man, someone yeah. who can do some damage in the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the question for me is what, at what point is, will Stu garner enough? attention from the defense, shooting corner threes or above the break threes. 
um, what percentage does he have to get to to sort of make sure that that man defending him in the corner isn't just coming across to clog up the roll and sort of blow up the pick and roll, so to speak. So yeah. if he can if he can get that three point shot to, I, I think his career, I think he's shot around thirty three percent. I'll yes. say. That's right. Um, so if he could get that to 35, 36, but on four attempts a game, I think that makes a defense account for him. Because if he can't that, make the defense account yeah. for him, then that's where I have some issues. Yeah. Uh, and just to note, 33% is actually exactly his career three-point percentage. So so well done. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right on the dot. So uh, I would say that for Stewart, who's, who's very offensively limited otherwise... I would say you want him to be in the high 30s in terms. I'm not talking about overall percentage, just on, on wide open threes. Like if you leave him wide open, I think he's got to really be able to make the defense pay. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would look at, you know, solid 38% because 35% means that you're somewhat inconsistent, unless you're like shooting a consistent 35%. And it might sound weird. It's only like 3% difference, but I feel like he, he legitimately needs to be a good shooter in order to, to compensate for his other weaknesses. But yeah, I mean, if he's a guy who can handle the pick and pop and can just space the floor, then cool. That gives him more utility. Uh, yeah. Is it enough? Who knows? I mean, we can move to, to another subject. You know, there's the talk of Stewart, a power forward. Of course, that would depend. Absolutely depends. Well, I mean, his offensive utility being a, even a net even positive, a net even offensive player, I think would depend on being able to shoot threes, but definitely a power forward. Like, what do you think about the idea of Stewart at power forward? Like, do you think it's really viable? Do you think it is just in spot minutes or what? My, I'm I'm definitely open to seeing it. I think it's definitely worth trying. I think he could succeed at it, but I do have my reservations with mm-hmm. how he handles being defended by non-bigs, essentially, because if he's playing the four on offense, he'll be guarded by, I think we might have discussed this on the last pod, but he'll be guarded by big wings, or so does he develop uh, some counter moves so he can off the catch, off a pump fake, make a move? Uh, I don't know if that's within him, but I, I think it's definitely worth trying because because of the importance and what he brings to the table, I think he's the sort of player you want to invest in seeing if he can fit alongside Jalen Duran in the future and to see if he can fit alongside potentially any other bigs. It, it, I think he's definitely worth the experiment. And yeah, I do have my reservations though on both ends of the floor, how he goes guarding those larger wings and also how he's defended by them. Yeah. I think that it's less about, oh, we think that Stewart can play power forward long-term. I'm of the opinion that it's more, okay, we can play Stewart some minutes at power forward so that we can have him on the floor more. So it's not like that he has to, Geez, I just completely lost my train of thought. But I think it's more just they can have him on the floor more when somebody else is playing center. But I, I have major reservations about it, like major, major reservations. I think, yeah, on offense, I think his skill set is just going to be very limited. Your average power forward these days isn't just shooting threes. The term stretch four is absolutely obsolete because unless <laughs> you're like... That's yeah. funny. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a term yeah. from like... Th- th- oh, no, no, no. I remember no. it. I remember yeah. that was like oh, yeah, that I know. was the the in thing in like the early 2010s, late 2000s. Like no, even <laughs> even until like I think it, I would say that it started to disappear around 2017. Yeah, and it's definitely gone as of as of like four years ago because yeah. unless you're like a superstar caliber at power forward like Giannis or something like that, I mean you got to be able to shoot. It's uh, power forward is absolutely a perimeter position in today's NBA. Center is the only interior position. Even a lot of those guys can shoot. I don't know if you remember this. This is a really kind of like random moment, but uh, yeah. it was the Warriors were playing, excuse me, the Trailblazers were playing against somebody in 2015. I don't know if it was the Warriors or what. And Mike Breen and uh, and Jeff Van Gundy and, and Mark Jackson's part of their analysis, somebody brought up an infographic of Myer, Myers Leonard shooting. And, yep. and Mike Breen was like, this guy's a stretch five. It's like it was unheard of back then. <laughs> but, but stretch four is yeah. not a, is not is not a uh, not a contemporary term. Yeah, I think so, I used to think yeah. of Pau, Pau Gasol as a stretch four because he could shoot like a mid range jumper. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how efficient he actually was on those, like put to by today's standards. 
That's I mean, actually, yeah, he, yeah. He shot threes eventually with the Bulls. No, he, he had those two weird ball seasons where I think he was a he was he started the All Star game once. So <laughs> yeah, that was a yeah. little weird. Yeah, that, that, that didn't really didn't make that was in, uh, actually both of his Chicago seasons he was in the All Star game. Yeah, and, there you go. Uh, yeah, he didn't shoot many threes, but he shot some of them. So stretch four is an obsolete term, and I, I bring this up because I feel like just being able to shoot threes is not really enough to play power forward. Play power forward very well. I mean, you have PJ Tucker, of course. I mean, he's an elite corner three point shooter, and uh, yeah, his his role. He played small forward actually a fair amount next to Giannis, but I, just being able to shoot threes, I feel like, is is not enough. Like in terms of, okay, this is a guy who cannot attack off the dribble because I forgot to put this in his weaknesses. Stewart has a terrible handle and it just can't really gain off ball separation because again, his foot speed is very poor. And again, we're talking running foot speed. His lateral mobility is very good. Yeah. And, and I, what does he do I, on offense aside from shoot threes in that situation? I think that's why he has to become an like an elite three-point shooter. So mm-hmm. that doesn't, like you said, up around those that high high 30% on good volume because yeah I, apart from backing someone down in the post I'm not sure what sort of creation he has with the ball in his hand yeah even attacking closeouts I mean I have my doubts he can do it I think in niche situations but like it's so I mean not only is he not going to be able probably to contribute very much in terms of versatility on offense again there's the opportunity cost you could have a much better power forward out there on offense, who's able to do much more in the way of uh, everything. But like uh, he was talking about, okay, you know, you know how he wants to model his game after Al Horford's. I feel like, I feel like that's much easier said than done. <laughs> um, yeah, like Horford is excellent at a variety of things, and Horford has a fluidity to him. If you know what I'm like, mm-hmm. he. Yeah. I mean, like he doesn't have a great. I'm not going to say he's Kyrie Irving with the ball in his hands, but he can sort of. He just has a fluidity to him where he can sort of move around the court, just make one or two dribble moves and whether it gets into a handoff or just goes into a little hook shot like Horford's. And Horford's got a lot bigger frame, I feel. Like maybe not wingspan, but height and um, yeah. I, like if Stu could turn into Al Horford, then well, that would be amazing. But yeah, <laughs> I would I would say good luck. Horford's actually probably not that much taller, I think. Uh, he's at he's officially six foot nine without shoes, but okay. yeah, I would say with Horford, I mean, it's just easier said than done. I mean, players have ceilings in the NBA. I mean, that just the skill level is so high that almost everybody has a ceiling, and small variances can be very important. But Horford, number one, I think we can agree on this. One of the smartest players in the NBA. I mean, the guy's basketball yeah. IQ on both ends sky high. Uh, he's an excellent passer. Uh, on offense, not as versatile as he used to be, but still pretty darn versatile, and uh, has a good handle. Like you said, he's got a he's got a good handle. He can uh, he can take it to the inside, and uh, and he's faster than Stewart. Like I remember one play, and I should have like found the timestamp of this before we head into this episode, but it was like in one of the highlight videos. Uh, so they were playing against I think the Heat. And so somebody closed out on Horford. And uh, he immediately curled around. So, you know, a fair amount of agility. And uh, then moved into the interior with a decent speed he has. He has like a half-decent first step. And then he had the awareness and the passing to jump a fair amount in the air and swing like a super fast one-handed pass into the corner to uh, Marcus Smart, I think. And it's like Isaiah Stewart can do none of those things. And that's the sort of thing I was touching on that if he's going to play the four in offense, he needs to be able to do something like that, yeah. which is, yeah. And Horford's just the last thing in him. He's one of those players, the more I've come to understand the game that you have such a greater appreciation for, like you said, because of his IQ and just the plays he can make at his size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Horford back in, in 2017, 2018, I'd, I'd say, I mean, he is like the ultimate more than more than your stats player. Like in 2017, 2018, he averaged 13 points per game, uh, seven and a half rebounds and five assists uh, and was one of the best centers in the league because he was good at everything. He always makes the right play. And uh, He's yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's why like particularly as I've become more, like I've become 
more knowledgeable, like because he didn't have those big stats, he obviously doesn't jump out to your sort of casual fan. Uh, but yeah, thirteen seven and five for a center, thirteen eight and five. That's five assists for a center is ridiculous. Yeah, like, Jokic has yeah. made uh, assist numbers for centers look <laughs> like hard to quantify. But five assists for a center or a big man, whatever you want to call him, like that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's real good, definitely. So uh, becoming Horford is easier said than done. And uh, but also this brings me to my next, uh, what I think are also Stewart's weaknesses on defense. Excuse me, on defense, power forward. So Stewart, so Horford on defense, like one of his weaknesses is he is not particularly fast on his feet either in terms of his running foot speed. Like he's more agile than Stewart. Uh, he's got a better first step than Stewart. He's also better leapers than Stewart, though he himself is not great. But if you make him cover ground, he'll struggle. Even though he's faster than Stewart in that capacity, he'll struggle. The Warriors exploited him this way. And, and his relatively poor foot speed and the fact that he was playing uh, pretty much at power forward on defense. I, I mean, he was helped by the fact that he had very strong defenders around him. But if the Warriors made him have to chase somebody or to rotate and cover distance, he had problems. And Stewart's foot speed is even worse. I mean, I feel like Stewart at center really maximizes his strengths in, on defense and minimizes his weaknesses because he's just guarding the interior. He doesn't need to cover ground in the interior on the run. He doesn't need to chase guys around the perimeter, and but particularly covering ground in the interior. And at power forward, you're taking him out of the middle, where his his strengths as a rim protector, a paint defender, are are not as large. And you're putting him in a role where he has to cover ground, and he has to try to play health side defense. And he's he is not good at either of those things. Have we seen though him play a lot of help side defense? Um, I feel like he's a, always yeah. Sorry, and, and yeah. like that would be one counterpoint is maybe I'm excited to see how he goes playing more help side defense. I know the physical limitations make that hard, like we, we yeah. touched on Big Ben earlier, but he probably, and I'm guessing there's been a sample size where he has looked poor, but maybe with it being more of an emphasis or more of a part of his game, we may see some improvement there. That's the optimist in me. Um, so... Yeah, I yeah from what you've we haven't seen, seen him though, play much of it, like, but I mean, yeah, the NBA is a game of, of inches and a well game of seconds. The, yeah. So, yeah. So I don't think so. I mean, I, I would say just because he, he he's not an explosive mover, he's not an explosive leaper, I think it's hard for him to get there, and he's not going to be skying above the basket to block shots. So I, I think just in terms of what we know about him, I, we haven't seen it, but I don't have high hopes. No, that's fair. I'm definitely interested to see how it goes, though. Yeah. So I, I just don't see it for power forward. I think that he doesn't have a lot to go, a lot going for him on offense and on defense. I think you mentioned this in the last episode. Like as you know, good switch defender. Uh, you put like Giannis on him. You put uh, you know one of the league's premier power forwards on him, and he's guarding that guy for the entire game. How does that go? Like I have my yeah. doubts. No, that's fair. I guess my counterpoint might be like. Let's just worry about getting to the playoffs first. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, like, yeah, maybe Stu just like, like we saw Grant Williams in like thrive in some games and then in the Warriors series, he was just essentially reduced to a bench role or just really low impact. So maybe Stu's just one of those guys that situationally can flourish in some series and then yeah. some series he's redundant, but. Yeah, I would say uh, that, I mean, I feel like Grant Williams is more mobile and that, that mobility is going to be really one of Stewart's biggest issues at power forward. But uh, you talked about uh, playoff scenarios and let's talk about how we feel Stewart could fit into a series in which you're just really going small ball with a center who is primarily going to be shooting threes, like what the Mavericks did with uh, Maxi Cleaver last season. And last, so that game seven against the Mavericks, which was awful. <laughs> oh, the, the Suns and the Mavericks, rather. Terrible game. Uh, I found myself thinking, it's like, man, you know, with Luca on the floor here and, uh, you know, just what the Suns are struggling with on offense, I feel like they would be, have been much happier to have Isaiah Stewart on the floor than DeAndre Aiden or JaVale McGee because, you know, you can defend. Like, Aiden's kind of like more of an okay switch defender, uh, whereas Stewart is elite, so he can defend Doncic. And, and he can stretch the floor some. Yeah. So I feel like there are some scenarios in which that would be very valuable. Absolutely. And I think 
I think any big that comes up against Giannis, Jokic, and Bead, they're going to struggle. Like oh, yeah. those guys are who they are for a reason. That's why they're mm-hmm. MVPs or consistently in the top three. So, and exactly right, like you said, I think having a switchable big, I think Stu could become more valuable in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. When because I mean we saw we've seen Rudy Gobert struggle, even Brook Lopez at times. Like those big lumbering bigs you can't and look to in defense of gobert like obviously that perimeter defense in utah wasn't ideal but i still think there's there's an element though to that where he does sort of struggle because he's such a big guy like he doesn't have that mobility um to play small ball the whole game so i think Stu's value comes from if you are matched up with the clippers who do the small ball five out lineups or the mavericks so I think there's definitely value in a player like Stu in those series. 100%. Yeah. When when every weakness is exploited to its maximum in the playoffs, like with Gobert, I'd say he's kind of like an average switch defender. He's not bad, but he's not good. He's drastically better as an interior defender, like one of the great interior defenders of all time. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. But you bring him out to the perimeter, you lose his interior defense. And also... Your man stands a much better chance of beating him, whereas Stewart doesn't have that disparity. I mean, Stewart is a good is a very good interior defender and an excellent switch defender. So you can't really throw that scheme at him and just say, "Oh, we're going to pull you out to the perimeter," and uh, you know, and, and that's too bad for you. That's not a viable strategy against Stewart. Absolutely, and that's why I think, like, I think, and that's why I just I love this PJ Tucker comparison because I feel like a player like PJ Tucker, yes, he contributes in a regular season and he's good, but I feel like. These sort of guys accentuate in the playoff setting where it's all about matchups. And if you have a guy that can, who sort of can counteract, I don't know, some offensive schemes that are looking to exploit a big, or mm-hmm. I just, there's a lot of value in that. And even if Stu does only give you 20 minutes a night in a playoff game, or yeah, I think with Stu, it's not so much trying to look at him as a starter or strictly a role player. Like I think he's just that versatile piece that you can start, you can have off the bench depending on the matchup, and he can impact the game. Yeah, I I agree with you that he could your def could very well be a more valuable player in the playoffs when sometimes you run schemes where you just don't need a good role man. For example, uh, you're just playing five out and trying to open up as much space as you can for you know Luca or. Uh, or whoever else, and that you know that could be Dracade, could be Jaden Ivy, and yeah. So, so Stewart definitely will give you more options. Is you know when it comes to centers, I mean, I feel like you look, you had three categories last playoffs, which were uh, good at switching, offensively dominant, or had trouble. Like if you weren't one of those first two, if you weren't yeah. good enough at switching, that uh, opponents drawing you out to the perimeter didn't like significantly reduce your your defensive value and you could not gain it back on the offensive end, those centers struggled. And and Stewart isn't really susceptible to that. My God, like excellent switch defender. I agree. I agree with all of that. So, all right, folks, that is going to be it for today's episode. I uh, want to thank you, Jack, again uh, for, uh, for guesting on the show today. This is uh, Jack Kelly. He's Jack underscore Kelly underscore 313 on Twitter. Check him out. And uh, hope to have you on the show again soon. Appreciate it a lot, Mike. Love talking about Isaiah Stewart. It's my favorite Pistons <laughs> player. I, yeah. um, whilst I'm fully invested in him, I'm glad we could have like an open chat about his positives and his weaknesses. And But either way, I think we've got a very versatile player in our hands who will contribute to winning. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I had a great time discussing that with you. So, uh, folks, as always, thanks for listening. Catch you in the next episode.